you for joining us for another edition of Code Concepts with Pete and Rachel. So we are here again this morning to talk all the good, the bad, and the ugly of code enforcement. So good morning, Pete. Good morning, Rachel. How you doing? How's life out there in Colorado oh, right now? I think froze. Oh. Just good morning, keep Pete. Keep on going. Go ahead. Can you hear me? Oh. So anyways, we're here. Um, we're in two different places. Rachel, can you hear me? Oh, Rachel keeps uh, going in and out. So anyways, well, thank you everybody for joining us today. We have a lot of cool stuff going on. So Rachel, can you hear me? Are you on Rachel? Hello? Okay. Wow. This is embarrassing, but it's okay. We're going to just keep on going. We're going to pivot. So so today, this this today we're going to talk about about different things going on in code enforcement. One of the things that we see is uh, the lack of mental health in code enforcement training and police officer training. So there was an article that came out, and I'll go ahead and post the articles um, later on in the show in regards to the lack of code enforcement training. One of the things, um, one of the things that was really that stood out in this article was the fact that the police officers normally get, you know, about a month's worth of training in mental health. And in that month, they only do about one week of scenario training, if that. And it a lot of them feel that it doesn't uh, give them the adequate tools to properly um, address some of these mental health issues. And I'll give you an example uh, for um, a, lo a lot of times co um, code enforcement officers, they go into people's homes, especially like hoarders or those kind of um, those kind of individuals. And it's really, really hard to understand if you don't have any proper training. And there is a lot of things that we as code officers can do to be able to address these um, types of situations. So number one is understanding why there's hoarding uh, disorders going on. A lot of times you have people dealing with depression. A lot of people grew up in um, the time where, you know, things were scarce, like uh, like World War II era, like you have some of these senior citizens in that type of environment. And it's really hard for them to let go. They had to um, really hang on to things. Uh, sometimes you see people that, um, that tend to uh, hang on to stuff and it's it's really it's it's especially if a loved one died and i had a in the city where i um last served as a code enforcement manager for the city of montebello i had a gentleman whose mom died in 1985 and he was having the hardest time uh cleaning cleaning anything that had to do with his mom he had a very big attachment and it was just hard for him to throw anything away. You know, if, if it was a, you know, if a can of oil, a can of tuna, and it was, it was just really, really um, unfortunate. And we had a mental health services specialist go out there and, and start guiding them, start talking to him in regards to the items. And the thing about mental health is that this particular individual had a lot of food in that he was also um, hoarding and it would cause rats to come to his home. 
and it, it was just a, a bad mess. So when you walked in, it got to a point where it was really unsafe for the code enforcement officers to walk in there. Uh, we had to wear uh, protective gear, you know, the Tyvek suits, the respirators, because it was so much um, urine and cat, um, uh, uh, rat feces in, in that particular area. And I mean, everywhere you went, you see little pellets of stuff. So uh, mental health is an important component of code enforcement. A lot of times we deal with people that had uh, schizophrenia or, uh, you know, they're recovering um, narcotics users. And we go out there and we're talking to these folks and there's a lot of things that can trigger them. So mental health is a very important thing. It's a very good article in regards to the lack of training in code enforcement. I mean, there's so many uh, items out there that we need to focus on in regards to mental health. Uh, sometimes we deal with the uh, transient issue. Um, you know, I, me as a code enforcement uh director, I never advocate for somebody to make contact with transients if they don't have to, um, If uh, because you never know what's going on. A lot of times it could be somebody on drugs, sometimes it could be somebody severely depressed or going through an episode of psychosis or something to that effect. So let me see, I actually got some chats here. Let me see, we have the Colorado Association saying, hey, Rachel, we have... Uh, Cynthia, good morning from Fullerton, and we have um, uh, Melvin from Redlands. Great. It's awesome. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, we have Rachel on the line. She's having some technical issues, but we are pivoting. We're continuing. That's why we have two people here uh, to continue our chat. But um, it's great, great stuff. And back to the transient issue. Um, a lot of times it's always best to, you know, go out there with your law enforcement agencies in order to be able to address some of these issues. So. Um, so here's another, uh, another, another one that we ended up having. And, you know, I encourage everybody to start. If you have any, any topics, anything going on, please, uh, feel free to chat, comment, and we'll go ahead and put something on here. We have somebody saying aloha. Hey, look, it's Matt Cozy Lion, uh, coming in from LinkedIn. We have Mr. Uh, from, uh, Carrie Nelson, uh, you know, why we should be providing poor cause to follow, potential safety is issue, can be ignored. And we have Rachel back on. Hello, Rachel. How you doing? It's okay. Don't worry about it. We continue. <laughs> we keep going. So you have a lot of peeps from Denver here saying hi. So say hi back. So, um, and so we are talking about mental health and, you know, I'm, I'm telling the story of, uh, so, uh, you know, horror that I had that I had to deal with some of the mental issues. Um, and, you know, now moving on to transients, that's something that us as code enforcement officers tend to, uh, deal with. Do you, have you dealt with something like that, Rachel? Pete, you froze again. I'm hoping now that we are good to go. Um, your face is a little bit wonky, but, uh, what was the question? No, that, have you personally dealt with anything with, uh, mental health issues in, in, during your scope of work? Oh, she froze again. It's okay. Rachel, we'll bring you back in. Hold on. Let me see. And here we have Debbie Dorsey uh, coming in. Hello, Debbie. How you doing? Let me see. Let me get Rachel uh, here. So we um, so we tend to drive into these uh, these issues sometimes with uh, with technology. I apologize, but it's okay. Um, so the 
one of the things that we really tend to focus on when it comes to mental health is preparing ourselves as code enforcement officers because it's one of the one of those components that you never know as code officers what you're going to deal with when you knock on someone's door so one of the things that you know um that that strikes me as a code uh you know field person when i go out there to somebody's house and i knock on the door and somebody comes out and they can go through a severe bout of depression and your presence might just kind of drag them into um into another another state of even more severe depression where it can become very uh very bad for them um you know and uh in in uh, the city of montebello i also had a one time i had a story where uh, a young lady had a uh, an issue where she believed her home was filled with mold and when you know when she she would go to us she would go to the health department um you know everybody would go to our house and say hey uh we have mold in our unit and we we would go out there you would see the walls completely free and um and she would cry and say hey there's mold here my i'm personally hypersensitive to things like mold or urine or feces and those kind of things and my body would break out you know and, I, and my body broke out so i i i believed her it's just i couldn't prove it um and and i told her that and i talked to the owner and the owner's like look i've been out there several times i can't uh we can't find any mold i hired a mold guy can't find any mold i'm like well there's something here well, long story short, this young lady came to City Hall. She goes, "What? You're gonna, you're gonna, you, you don't care about me. You, um, you know, the city hates me. The county hates me. Nobody cares. You know, the husband would come in. She he would apologize. I'm sorry. You know, I don't know what's wrong with her. You know, and I got a call from a code enforcement officer, and uh, from a from a neighboring city he goes, "Hey, what's going on? Uh, this lady's on Facebook Live, screaming and yelling about you." And next thing I know, she's on the freeway saying, I hate Pete Roquet. I hate code enforcement. They don't care about me. And literally this lady's blocking the 60 freeway uh, and during the midday. And, you know, at, at the end of the day, um, that uh, had police went and responded. We went out there and we got her some mental health services. It was very unfortunate. But those are the kind of things that we deal with because you can't control what people are people are, are are going through let me see melvin 24 inches or less doesn't have a permit do you have any comments legal backer pulls and code enforcement okay we'll, we'll go into that uh uh melvin well we'll go ahead and answer that question in a bit let me see oh actually sean walker answered the question so here was the question and here is the answer do you have any comments on legal backer pulls on code enforcement and no comments on the no comment on illegal pools. So let me see. Here's another question. Do you have any comments illegal pools? Somebody said um, 24 inches doesn't need a permit. Uh, you do have illegal pools sometimes. People do um, tend to dig, start digging their own pools and uh, uh, illegally build a pool. I've seen it. I've seen illegal pool conversions where somebody converted into a living space. Uh, so there is a lot of regulations. I would really recommend that if you haven't adopted the the international spool uh, 
swimming pool and spa code that you take a look at it. It's a great model code that gives you a lot of information in regards to pool and pool safety regarding fencing, alarms, um, pool height, um, fence height, uh, those kind of things. It's a great resource. I would recommend that you, you read it. It's in the, um, in the model code series from the ICC, uh, library. So Rachel, can you hear me? I can hear okay. you. I'm back. Awesome. So, okay, so we have another our worst enemy. <laughs> oh, that's okay. It's, it's technology. What do you do? You know, I, I've frozen here and there said so several times too. So, um, so here's an, here's another thing in the world of code enforcement. So in the state of Florida, as of July 1st, the state no longer allows anonymous complaints. Sure. Which, which now means that if you do not leave your name information in the state of Florida, you will not be able to, um, you will not be able to, uh, respond to anonymous complaints. Now this creates a lot of issues. Have you ever dealt with any issues regarding anonymous complaints? Well, absolutely. I mean, you look at it from so many different angles um, because ultimately when we're out there enforcing, I think a lot of us code enforcement officers take on that persona of, well, when the violation exists and we see that the violation exists, we become that complainant. Um, we ultimately are the ones then who take that and run with it. So do we really need that information? Sometimes it's necessary to have that information because sometimes you have code enforcement issues that aren't necessarily quality of life, right? So you have things that are neighbor to neighbor, just disputes. Um, a lot of times that anonymity um, allows people to hide. And if it's something that truly affects their quality of life, um, we like to see them in the front and center, um, a part of the case with us. So I do see it go different ways. I mean, you know, I work in a police department. So a lot of what we do, there isn't um, the ability to be anonymous. We require, um, you know, driver's license information for a lot of what we do. Um, even there, it's, it's a struggle as well because you have those complainants or even the violators sometimes when you're just handing them a, a quick notice to cut some weeds. Oh, by the way, can I get your driver's license? Same thing with the person that's complaining about those weeds. Oh, by the way, I need your driver's license, your social security number, your, you know, all that information. So I can see it go both ways. How do they handle that uh, where you are at and where you were previously at there, Pete? So um, when I was, so I, I've served in several sort of jurisdictions. So the one thing that I love uh, about our job is that every jurisdiction is different. Mm -hmm. So you get to learn a little bit on, in, in a lot of different jurisdictions. Yeah. So in the city of uh, Montebello, uh, we, we had a lot of issues where code enforcement before I got on there was only um, reactive. And when I got on board, it became quasi reactive and then we had some proactive. Well, um, some of the council members felt that we were uh, purposely writing up their friends and we would say, no, we received complaints. Well, oh, well, where's the complaint? We would show them where the complaint. It always said anonymous. Well, how do we know it's not you? We're, <laughs> it's not us. I mean, we have better things to do than write up your friends or find out who your friends are. And um, so we would, uh, one of the things that I ended up doing was I ended up uh, putting together an anonymous uh, complaint uh, policy. Okay, so the, what the policy said was um, was that we would not take uh, anonymous complaints if if because we needed a callback number. Now, if they gave us uh, fictitious information, that was something that we couldn't we couldn't do. So when it came to um, when it came to that, uh, let me see, Rachel's back on. Okay, when it came back to um, 
to doing that. And it's a, it was a good policy because it, it, it stopped people from constantly calling us with, uh, you know, narking out all their neighbors. So we ended up actually, it, it helped in our benefit and we were able to lower our, our numbers. But at the same time, you had people that were really, really scared. And that w one of the things we always tell folks, look, it's, it's, um, you, it's, um, you can leave your information in case our officer needs to call you back. And, you know, even though you're not anonymous, it is confidential. And we do not give out your information. Um, in California, there's a California Public Records Act that prohibits us from releasing that information unless it's through a subpoena. And But uh, that is an exemption that we don't release uh, public records at, as, as to who complained. So, and so for us, we had to establish an anonymous complaint policy to avoid, you know, because of counsel. But I mean, and, and it did work. Um, we also established a, what we call a retaliatory complaint uh, policy, which means we don't respond to your complaints until you solve your issue. So that that was, uh, you know, when we knocked on someone's door and said, hey, um, you need to mow your grass. Well, what about that guy? What about that guy? You know, and start pointing at everybody. I'm like, look, right. we understand your concern. In this particular case, we had a concern about your particular property. Right. We're going to address your property. Once we're done with your property and your compliance, please feel free to knock out all your neighbors and we'll go ahead and take those formal complaints and go ahead and address them. And what, what you saw is most people were hot at the moment that we addressed it. So when we told them that, that we'll definitely take the complaint to follow up after, after that, they normally like, you know what? I don't want this on anybody else. And right. most people would just not complain, you right. know, but, and so, but there's a lot of code agencies that say, you know what, if, if you're right there and they have their trash can out the neighbor across the street, you need to go address that, you know? Right. Everything and, in the and, and, and it's a good it's a good procedure. However, it just creates more caseload because now you're, you know, if you're in a reactive code enforcement, now you're being proactive. So right. it, it's every jurisdiction is different, and we're all, you know, it's it's not a cookie cutter type of business that we're in. So and and we always have to make sure we abide by whatever policies and procedures. And if, if anybody's on this um, particular stream, if you have, um, if you want a copy of the anonymous complaint policy that I put together, I will definitely email you. Um, you can email me at proke at fourleafinc dot com. I'll go ahead and put that in the chat. You can definitely email me. I will give you information. Uh, same thing with the retaliatory complaint, or um, and. We'll, and or uh, sample policy and procedure for you to uh, look at and and you know maybe thank that'll you Pete that'll be interesting thing yeah because um, with those kind of cases we have priorities health and safety is always first and right. then the graffiti is kind of like you know kind of the proactive work is always at the bottom but you know but it, it, it's good policies and procedures so with anonymous complaints go back to anonymous complaints I, I love anonymous complaints one of the things that i think hinders anonymous complaints is because sometimes you need additional information sure you know and and sometimes if you don't have a person to call back you can't verify you know their their complaint um or sometimes you may need access to a neighboring property let's say that, that you know um they see something that we can't see. And, and and it's different in different cities because in some cities say, hey, if you can't see it, it, it doesn't exist. But if the neighbor sees it and, you know, um, in the, from a legal standpoint, if you're in their yard and you can see it from their yard, in, in various jurisdictions, it's considered public view. Right. You know? and, we, and we use the, um, the you know, the thing, uh, 
in, in, in California, well, well, if the guys walk, even though, you know, if you're walking and nude in your house, nobody can see you, no big deal. But if you have the windows wide open and strutting around, then it becomes an issue of indecent exposure. Well, right. same thing in the backyard, if the neighbor can see it and it's exposable, it's considered public view. Where in some cities don't don't go through by by that process. So, right. so what's your what's your thing on anonymous complaints? And is it would you say it was necessary, not necessary? You know, like I said before, it goes back and forth uh, because ultimately, once we view what it, the issue is and we see that there's a complaint, we take it and run with it and we solve the issue. Um, you know, especially when it's something a blight nuisance, um, such as you know junk trash debris um, that's very visible from a public right of way. Is it necessary for us to have the complainant's information on a case like that? Probably not. But in a case where it's an occupancy issue and they're concerned about their neighbor having, you know, 15 individuals um, unrelated living in the same home. Yeah, that's an instance where that doesn't necessarily affect the world's quality of life. So I'm going to need that information from the complainant. I'm going to want to call back several times to um, get gather and obtain more information that's going to help me prove or disprove if this is actually going on. So I can see a, a good use for it in certain situations. Um, but just like everything else we do in code enforcement, it's so case by case, uh, really case by case. Awesome. Cool. So here's a, here's another one. So like I said, we, we go through every single different, uh, you know, source of information out in the code world. Uh, here's another one that came out. It was uh, due to COVID. It was in the state of Tennessee. What's going on is they're, um, they're going to the Supreme Court uh, because some of the businesses had to relocate to their home. So it creates a home occupancy and a land use issue. So what that means is uh, some of these uh, businesses were operating out of home and a lot of land use uh, regulations don't allow you to have customers in your home. So, so there was a story and let me put that article here in the chat for you guys. So you guys can kind of peruse and see what's going on. What happened was because of COVID, it just kind of became more convenient for po folks to work out at home. You know, it, it's a loss. Um, you know, so a lot of people lost their um, their leases. They lost their uh, you know their business locations. So they're operating from home. In this particular place, this lady had a hair salon, and the city came down on her saying that it she was in, in violation of a land use issue. Well, what happens in that particular case, the land use, um, the, the, they, she felt that it was unfair because, because of COVID, she lost everything. And so she's fighting, she's fighting the city in court and it's going to the state Supreme Court that she should be allowed to, um, to, uh, run her business out of her home. So, you know, what kind of, so Rachel, can you, can you hear me? I can hear you now. So what do you what, what do you think on the home occupancy issue when people are working out of their home? Uh, what, what do you think? Uh, home occupancy becomes a, a dangerous, slippery slope in our in our world here, um, especially like you were saying, I think you even touched on the fact that we're coming out of a pandemic. Um, families are having to live together now because of, you know, financial related hardships. Um, so there's going to be a lot of reasons why we're seeing these higher occupancy issues. Um, ultimately, you know, with the, the working, um, I see an issue there as well. We, you bring in people, you're changing the characteristic of the neighborhood. Um, so again, case by case, you have to look at everything for what it is. Yeah. And, and that goes into land use 101. 
You know, I mean, we, we see a lot of different things. For example, I mean, I've seen, you know, uh, people uh, do churches out of their home like full-on churches i've seen I, I i saw a guy doing archery in the backyard uh, <laughs> i've seen people doing uh, horseback or riding lessons in someone's home i mean I, we've seen it all I, I think i've seen a lot of a lot of things you know even marijuana grows somebody can say hey my illegal dispensary uh, was shut down i mean my dispensary was shut down so i had to move my operation to my home i mean it's a plethora of things that people can can claim and you know this sets a precedent so you know onto what happens in your home so and so in in the state of california uh we have what we, we now call micro kitchens have you ever heard of this no okay. not here in colorado yet in, in the in the state of california what somebody can do now is they can um basically turn their home into a restaurant so and and this is a bill that was particularly sponsored by some of these vacation rental places to make it a destination to eat a particular type of delicacy or gourmet food and so um it, it was uh, it was uh, heavily uh, sponsored by several people I don't want to say the names on this platform uh, but um it became a tourist destination and so a lot of this the counties were like hey we're not going to enforce that because it's in people's homes. They shouldn't have restaurants. There's a lot of health concerns, animal mm -hmm. pest concerns. Um, yeah, let me see. So, so what happened is called a micro kitchen food operation. Um, something it's MKHO home operation, micro kitchen home operation called Miko. And so essentially it says that you can have up to 30 people at your home as a restaurant and you don't have to go through a lot of the uh, the you know the zoning issues, but you could have to go through licensing and the health department. So and, and it's it was one of those things where every we had tons of meetings for, with with stakeholders on a hey, is it going to be a city thing that the city's going to enforce, or is it going to be a thing that the uh, county is going to enforce, or the state health department's going to? And right. nobody wanted that responsibility. So, but are are we allowing it yes and right now nobody is tends to be responsible for it and once i think it becomes more prevalent people are going to start doing it a lot more uh, same thing with airbnb yeah it's it's insane right how does that impact the community though i mean changing the characteristic when we're we're seeing these micro restaurants or micro kitchens how does that impact these residential neighborhoods and communities well th then that's the thing a lot you know there's a lot of uh a lot of people don't know about these things like sean walker said that is crazy and gross <laughs> <laughs> you know and 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 I, i'm not gonna lie you know i i've eaten uh, from a taco lady or you know uh, the hot dog with the wrapped bacon i mean I, i've done that i mean it's good stuff but i also been to homes where they make this stuff and i'm telling you it's such a big turnoff sometimes sure and it's it's one of those uh oh yeah yeah it's it's just not the best not the cleanliest place i mean you know I've, I've thrown out corn for illegal corn vending and you see like little roach imprints on the on the <laughs> on in the buckets and it's you know i've seen people wash corns in an alley you know before they load them up to the to the um, to the cart so i mean there's a lot of food handling issues that i particularly have uh problems with but at the end of the day if the law says that they're allowed to do it as long as they're doing it safely, I, I mean, we really can't say anything because that is state law, 
you know, mm -hmm. and in California, uh, we also decriminalized uh, street vending. Um, okay. so, so before we can confiscate goods and, you know, and dispose of uh, uh, perishable foods, but now it's, it's, it's become harder. I mean, you have to do another health and safety code, but it's become a lot harder. So what happens now is that we have encroachment issues. We have, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, um, traffic issues because, you know, right. the, the, what the state did says, hey, you can't prohibit them. You have to create a process to allow them to be there. And and, and they made it and the, each city made it kind of difficult for them to do it. But it, I mean, they could still do it. So we now we have to enforce other regulations like encroachments, um, you know, um, if it's if they're at a gas station or like some parking lot, we have to make sure that they have permission and that they they add them to their business license. I mean, it's 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 insane over here in in California sometimes. Oh. I like that you find different ways to enforce different things when you have a. That's that's helpful. Well, in, in code enforcement, one of the things is that we have to be creative sometimes. I mean, this is, and this is, I think, what sets us apart from different um, different. Uh, positions in the city because we have to find solutions you know mm -hmm. um you know I, I i know i think i told you the story before of uh you know the guy was parked on the wrong side of the street and we got a call saying hey um this guy's parked on the and this was a total political play back in the day um you know the guy's parked on the right side of the street so i'm like hey oh by the way it's so-and-so's car well do not cite him for being on park well i got a call he has to get cited and i got another call saying he should not be cited so what do i do i mean you know so i so me as a as a rival rouser i'm like okay i'm not gonna park him i'm not gonna cite him for parking on the wrong side of the street so i, I ended up citing him but i parked him i cited him for parking 12 inches away from the curb right. <laughs> so it, uh, he was on the opposite side of the street so you know at the end of the day when i got in trouble I, I didn't get in trouble but they you know they were like you weren't supposed to cite him or no you told me not to cite him on the wrong side of the street for this so, particular I mean, thing <laughs> So I ended up parking them for being excessive of 12, 12 inches away from, no, 18 inches away from the curb. And then that was my parking enforcement days. And parking enforcement is a whole different gambit of issues because nobody likes getting a parking ticket. So, right, right. No, it's like yeah. that in a grand scheme of things, you know, code enforcement is very, uh, just because the code doesn't say you can't have an elephant doesn't mean you can have an elephant. Yeah. Uh, there's always a way around. Right. So, uh, I mean, it, it's, it's insane. It's kind of things that we see out in the field, you know? So, um, so here's, here's another one that, um, that we see, and I'll, I'll go ahead and put the uh, link up on the, uh, webpage real quick. And this is where, uh, we have, uh, animal control that's being introduced into code enforcement and across the country, code enforcement pulls a lot of duties, animal control being one of them. I've never dealt with animal control. I, I, I'm, I'm not scared of dogs, but I fear dogs. Um, the first time I ever pet a, a horse, I had just heard a story of how the horse hoofed the guy to death. And I'm like, I'm petting the horse and that horse that galloped. And I'm like, th that was it for, that was a deal breaker. I'm like, I don't want anything to do with horses, <laughs> even ponies. Like, oh. you know, uh, yesterday I, I was hanging out with, uh, with Debbie Dorsey, who's on the call. And uh, what do you call it? Uh, you know, I saw uh, we saw a horse, and I was like, uh, she was like, "Teddy, it's Teddy." I'm like, "No, 
Yeah. So, and, but she goes, no, you got to feed the horse. I'm like, okay. So I fed the horse. It was, it was pretty funny. We were doing something in San Diego and we just and ended up uh, feeding horses. So that's uh, code enforcement day, how it takes you. All encompassing. So anyways, back to, back to the this, this story um, in, in the city, they don't want uh, one council member wants code enforcement to oversee animal control. And the other one says, no, we shouldn't do that because it just, it, it does, it, they won't be able to respond to the other calls for service. So they want two separate people instead of having a uh, code enforcement do uh, everything. Because as you know, being in code enforcement, we tend to do so much and we're all over the place. You know, one if, if some of us are do parking enforcement that we're not, you know, going to people's uh, complaints. Some of us, we do restaurant inspections. Some of us do stormwater. Some of us do animal control you're one of uh those folks that do animal control and you know you just sent me a picture the other day of you in a bat <laughs> so yeah, um, yeah so what's your thing on animal control and code enforcement you know for me it's very different i i look at it like no matter what i'm enforcing i'm gonna take it on and enforce it at 150%. Um, there are challenges though. I mean, my calls for service are high on the animal side, as you mentioned. I had a, a gentleman bit by a bat the other day. So I had to go collect the bat, uh, work with the health department to um, euthanize, get it euthanized, get it over for testing. Um, there's just, there's so many things that are all encompassing with that position that ultimately Yeah, I, I think your audio cut is right here. I think your audio is cutting off. So that I know, I know you got to look with me today. It's this is a stressful day. I'm so sorry. It's all good. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Call. Thank you for uh, <laughs> bearing with us. It, it's it's all Thanks good, you know, and, and it happens. I mean, I've been on a call before and I'm like, yeah, I keep cutting out. I'm like, uh, oh, you know, and it happens and it's okay. But, you know, it's it's okay. Now, you know what? End of the day, we're doing here. You're here on your time off. So I, I think uh, I think anybody in the call can appreciate your time. And you know what? You're a wealth of knowledge. And, you know, we really appreciate you being here and always taking the time to do this stuff. And, you know, um, these are conversations that we have to have. And I love for the audience to chime in and tell us some, some good war stories because I think us learning from each other is what makes this show this show. Right. Right. And so back to animal control, uh, you know, what, what's, uh, we, we didn't get to hear what he said. So if you can, well, kind of you know, it's about providing the best possible customer service, no matter what you're doing, whether it's pulling a snake out of a pergola or dealing with a, a sump pump or stormwater issue, you're going to approach everything, or at least I'd like to think uh, we as code enforcement officers who are a different breed approach everything with the end goal in mind of taking care of the citizen or taking care of whatever it is. Um, so my philosophy in where I work is if I can do it, I will. If I can't, I will figure out who can do it for you. Um, so you go into it, you get um, multiple um, odd calls that you've never dealt with before, and you just try to find the best possible solution. So I kind of told you a little bit about the bat. Uh, last week we had a moose sighting. So I spent about five hours driving our town looking for a uh, baby moose um, that had come down from the mountains. So you just never know what you're going to get. And then the next call is a parking complaint. 
Um, and then my call after that was another drainage issue. So you just never know what you're going to get um, ultimately and providing that best possible customer service and, and solving the issue or um, bringing compliance to whatever it is, is, is where I'm at with that. And, and you bring an interesting point because you're coming out of the police department. So mm -hmm. in police department, you have calls for service, correct? Right. So coming out, do you normally have with, with and you have to squeeze your follow-ups into the correct into your day, which is you know a lot of us don't have to deal with that as right. far as doing calls for service. We normally have like you know we we do our reinspects or you know mm -hmm. we have a list and we just go out and yeah, there's calls for service, but they're they've been a day away where you you're kind of like you got to go. Right. And, and, and it's, yeah, it, it, that, that's amazing. I, I, I give you mad props for that. I, I couldn't do it. And, you know, um, one of the things that we did in my last jurisdiction, we ended up putting everybody on a, like a daily schedule just because, you know, people would say, Oh, I have 400 cases or 300 cases. I'm like, well, you're not handling all of them in one day. He goes, just handle these today. That's all I want mm -hmm. you to handle. Some of them are easy, some of them are hard. Just this amount, and it makes them their life a lot easier, right. you know. Because you know, if you have to do five follow-up calls to see if somebody got a permit, that really is not going to take you all day. It's right. going to take you maybe like an hour tops, you know. But um, but there's some that you have to take forever. That you know, like if you have to go to a property that may be substandard, it, mm -hmm. you you need a level level of detail, and you know you have to come back and do a report and. I mean, it, it takes some time. So, you know, the fact that, you know, I, I don't know how I would go around looking for a moose, but, <laughs> but you know, end of the day, and the thing is with animal control, um, you know, what in the article, it, it it's people don't realize that, you know, for a lot of people, you know, me growing up, the dog was just the dog, mm -hmm. but, you know, to other people, it's a family member, right. you know, and, and, and it, it's a hard thing when you have to say, hey, your dog got losing, I hit by a car. Or, you know, it's one of those things that you kind of, you know, you're like that doctor on uh, days of our lives, like, you know, giving the bad news to the family member, like, hey, the dog down the street, um, you know, chewed up your cat, you know, it's, it's, it's insane. Um, but, you know, I, I think, you know, I, I think animal control itself, it's a full-time job, it you, is. Know? you know, and, and I think, uh, you know, not having any experience or having strategy into going into serving animal control, it's, it becomes a little bit more difficult. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> I went into it with no experience. My everything for me is code enforcement. And they're like, oh, you'll get maybe a few barking dog calls. Um, but I'd say a lot of what I do is that animal. But again, it's it's about taking each situation and task and dealing with it with um, smile on your face and providing the best possible service. So, yeah. And a lot of our jurisdictions do have animal nuisance complaints. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and we have uh, not nuisance, nuisance, nuisance ordinance ordinances right. like with the exotic exotic animals. And my first jurisdiction, um, we had a guy that um uh, the neighbor, the neighbor cat lady complained about the guy next door who had an alligator, you know, and the, her cats kept going missing and, you know, comes to, <laughs> comes to find out that, you know, the, the owner would lay food out I mean, just in case like a wild animal and the alligator would snatch him up. And we ended up taking the alligator and the, the, uh, the guy was super devastated over his alligator. I oh mean, he, we, we called him the crocodile man, <laughs> you know? 
but I mean, yeah, he, he was, that was the first time I ever saw an alligator. Like, you know, I'm not from Florida and, you know, so I was like, wow, you know. So do you coordinate with wildlife or coordinate with somebody to take it? What'd you do with the alligator? Um, it wasn't me. It was animal control. Animal. We had an, a separate animal control division, so they handled it. But of course, more of a curiosity, us the code enforcement officers, we go out there and like, let's see, let's see. Because technically right. it's an it's an Armunico, it's a nuisance. So we get to kind of, you know, some of us are very curious critters, you know. So we go out there and we check things out. I'm like, wow. You know, I just wanted to see the alligator. You know, so, <laughs> so, but uh, it, it's, um, yeah, so it was a cat lady versus an alligator owner, but both <laughs> in violation of animal ordinances, you know, so hey, what do you do? We, we run into these crazy situations. Oh, so. we do. Okay. So let me see the, let's see what else is going on in the world of code enforcement. Okay. So the, here's another story. Okay. And, and this maybe go for something positive. Um, which is a story in regards to creating um, a, a lending, a lending uh, tool, lending uh, shed uh, service in uh, is it McAllen in McAllen? I think it's Texas, McAllen, Texas. And so basically, what the city did is created um, you know like a free rental uh, shed for you know people can uh, you know borrow lawnmowers. Uh, you know, hedge trimmers, uh, you know, uh, paint, painting guns. I mean, so they basically loaded it up and you check out these tools in, in order to get compliance. Because as mm -hmm. code enforcement, you hear people might say, well, I can't afford this or I can't afford that. And, you know, and, and the city does give them an opportunity. And, and in code enforcement, we have to find a lot of solutions sometimes. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times, what, what do we do? We get, um, you know, we get the Boy Scouts to come in and help we get the uh you know these religious organizations these nonprofit organizations right uh, you know we get different the veterans affairs you know um and if, if you think outside the box you can get realtors to help out because if the neighborhood spruces up you know they you know the house price houses the prices of houses go up so this is a good program you know they lend people tools i don't know what the um the requirements are, but you know, what, what do you think about programs like this? And do you have a similar program? We don't have similar programs. This is something I think is a beautiful program, something I'd love to do because, you know, we have to, we have a job to do. We have to get compliance, but we can't bring them into compliance for them. No matter how hard, you know, some of us really want to go at night and mow their lawn, you know, mow the nice sweet old lady's lawn that, that can't take care of it. Um, we certainly can't do that. And sometimes we don't have other resources. So something like that, it would be awesome. Um, providing them, you know, putting that onus back on them, like we talked about in our previous show, um, getting them to take personal responsibility for what's going on in their life and their hardship. Um, but providing them a solution to say, hey, I know your lawnmower, you stated your lawnmower wasn't working. Uh, we've got a great program. You know, you can come and check one out from us, rent it from us. Um, I think that is an awesome resource to have. I'm going to take that article and see what I can do to make that happen in my place. Right. No, I, I'm serious. And this is one of the reasons why this program exists. And thank you for this, you know, um, just having resources out there. Like, you know, when, when we go through these topics, like home occupancy, that's something that people aren't thinking about, you mm -hmm. know, or, or the anonymous complaints. These are things that some of us 
deal with and we don't think about. And, you know, same thing with this one. We're solving a problem that wasn't there before. And, you know, again, it's it's a lot of it has to do with education in the community, like being able to educate the public and saying, hey, look, this city in Texas is doing this or Tennessee is dealing with this or Florida is dealing with this. And, you know, if you don't have a platform like this, you don't communicate what's going on because, right. you know, what we see Texas is doing with anonymous complaints, they could either succeed and have a new model where people are more responsible on who they're complaining on, or it can completely fail and say, hey, people, I mean, people aren't taking the time because, you know, they just, they don't want to deal with all the backlash of, you know, the potential repercussions of, um, you know, advising somebody that, you know, that, that's not taking care of their property. Right. So, I mean, it, it can go both ways. Same thing with, uh, with uh, Tennessee and, you know, it can go, the Supreme Court says, you know, they should have their business. It changes the whole landscape of land use in Tennessee. But if, if they say, no, you know what, you can't turn your home into a gun range, you know, uh, you know, <laughs> you're not going to have a lot of uh, folks, you know, you're going to, you know, you're going to have less complaints. But again, the the state can make exemptions and they can make rules, say, okay, these are allowed and these are not allowed, you know, because if you allow, um, you know, if you're allowing a beauty shop, why not allow a mechanic shop? Right. Or why not allow, you know, um, I don't know, the, what, what other business do we see people run out of their home that they're in? Music really not, business, um, music yeah. business yeah. groups, local youth groups, um, that kind of stuff. That's I see a lot of that. Yeah. Real estate. Yeah. And, and, and we go, you know, and uh, some people turn their homes into contractor's yard because mm -hmm. it's cheaper for them to store the, the like right. lumber and materials at their home. And, you know, for me, like I, and, and I always tell people, look, I, I can care less as long as you, you know, you meet the minimum standard. We're not here to make your home, a, a, you know, a home and gardens cover, uh, you know, on, on, on magazine. What we want to do is for you to maintain the minimum standard. So the minimum standard is cutting your grass. Just cut your grass. You know, am I going to am I going to like write you up for having little patches? No. Right. You know, but at, at the end of the day, it's the intent of, you know, of the intent of the law and the spirit of the law that we have to really look at. You know, am I going to, you know, jam up uh, a household with a six inch dandelion? I'm, I'm not, you know, you know, but if it's a million dandelions and that's not another issue. So, you know, and we, we as code enforcement officers, we have to use our common sense and judgment. Mm -hmm. So these, these things are so important that, that we do um, that, you know, we really talk about these issues because we as code enforcement officers have to communicate, you know, and, our best tool in, in, in our job is communicating with others, right? Absolutely. You know, it's our, but why are we not communicating with each other as code officers to make us better, better, better equipped and better people? Right. right? Well, that's how they write ordinances. I mean, jurisdictional matrices. What's the next department or the next division or jurisdiction doing? So, yeah. And, and, it, and it happens. And, you know, but a lot of times you can take the positive stuff and include that in your ordinance as well. You know, like the SHED program. Great program. I, I, I've seen this program before in other places. And, you know, so and there's a lot of programs out there that we want to showcase. And if it's in the if it's here in the in the in the news then that's good. Um, so it means it's working or it's it, not it's working either way. Right. Yeah. Yeah, let me see. 
So uh, we're scheduled to have Ms. Muela come on for a quick second to talk about uh, the event next week. So we're not going to be here next week because we're going to be where, Ms. Uh, Patterson? We are going to be at women, Coffee with Women. Um, we are, CC, Miss CC uh, hosts the event, the Women Leaders in Code Enforcement, Coffee with My Girlfriends. And I get to take part in sitting on the on with her. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a great event. I love it. Let me see, and see where she is. She's supposed to be on. So, but let me really quickly send her another link. Let me see, because she wants to talk about that and a lot of other things. So, <laughs> so other than that, um, you're you, joining us as well. Yeah, can you tell us a little bit about the uh, the coffee with my girlfriend? Right when we're having technical difficulties again. Oh, geez, Louise. Okay, and then that's my bad. Sorry, sorry, I'm messing with the program. So, let me see. I'm going to. So, send Pete, I'm not sure if you can hear me, but this week. I can hear you. Oh, I can't hear you anymore. There she is. You're muted, by the way, Rachel. Hey, Cecilia, can you hear us? Of course I can. All right. So what what you got going on, Miss Muela? Well, you know, we're enjoying this Friday, this Friday morning, um, preparing, obviously, for the end of the week wrapping up and excited for next week. We have very exciting things happening next week, as you know, Pete and Rachel. Um, I don't know, Pete, if you've already talked about it, but we have our Officer Safety Day training that is on July 29th. It is definitely a do not miss. So much great information that we're gonna be sharing with awesome presenters. Um, and there's it's just so much to learn um, when it comes to that particular topic, as, as we all know. Um, and in addition to that, Rachel and I will be hosting Coffee with My Girlfriends on Friday, the 30th of July. That's at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard. And we're gonna be talking about the power of mentorship. And how important is that, you know, in, in our line of work as we're maneuvering through the building industry, as we're growing, as we're looking at perhaps new avenues that we want to grow into professionally. Mm -hmm. It's just really important and really awesome to be able to have that mentorship component and really understand how that works. So lots of great things. Oh, don't forget on the day before the safety training, we are doing a uh, one hour presentation for the um the uh, the uh coachella valley coachella valley <laughs> gonna kill me yes yeah, coachella valley yeah we're doing a code enforcement 101 training uh if you go to the coachella valley website you'll be able to see it um and she uh, what do you call it she booked us um we're doing a code 101 and basically that is to uh, inform the the building officials on how we do things why we do that and how important it is to do things it's not your just your basic 101 as to um to uh you know just giving you like hey this is an inoperable vehicle it's more of a kind of like this is why we need to really train our officers to be able to communicate with the general public on what it is that we do yeah and you know and you know pete here's here's the other side to that you know i i always tease in in uh, my my classes that that i uh put together for icc and for standards and codes academy um when we think about code enforcement as a profession none of us really 
grew up and, and went to school and said, hey, you know, I want to be a code officer when I grow up, right? Most of us didn't even know what that was, that even existed. And some of us that have worked in code enforcement for many, many years have seen it grow from an optional service to a non-essential to an essential. Um, and it's definitely become multifaceted in a lot of variety of different ways. And so for those folks that are interested in a career in code enforcement, this is the presentation that you want to definitely tap into um, to learn a little bit more about, like Pete said, the ins and outs. What is code enforcement? Who are we? What are we? What does that look like? What does that feel like? You know, um, what growth and, and potential there is when you come into code enforcement. Um, and many of us, as Rachel has mentioned before, and, and some of these um, talks is, you know, you have a direct care for the communities that you serve. You really, really do. And and that's why many of us are still in this profession. So um, it's, it's a training that is geared to new folks that want to come into the profession, folks that have, may have an interest, um, folks that may already be in the profession, to our building inspection staff, to our fire inspection staff, pretty much anybody that has some sort of interest in, in what code enforcement is. Oh, Cecilia, can you give us a quick, uh, a quick overview of the officer safety one on the 29th? Yes. So there, it's a three-part component. So we're going to be talking um, with Gary Weinstein of uh, Parents of Autistic Children. And Gary is a remarkable nationwide trainer who has worked with um, first responders, who has worked with um, medical uh, field staff, training them on how to interact effectively with folks that perhaps have autism or the on the autism spectrum, um, the le different levels of autism, learning how to really recognize what that is um, for our safety, for their safety, so that we can have better communication breakthroughs when we're out in the field so that we can interact safely while we're out there. I think what happens with autism, sometimes we don't really recognize it. We don't really talk about it. Mental health is something that almost has been kind of a taboo. And so breaking the stigma of just labeling something, oh, mental health, you know, and, and walking away from it or, or exacerbating the situation is something that we definitely want to avoid. So that is going to be a remarkable training that is going to be, you know, packed with a wealth of knowledge from Gary. And in addition to that, um, we're going to be talking to the FBI regarding human trafficking. Um, human trafficking isn't something that we always think about in code enforcement. In fact, most of the time when we're thinking about code enforcement, we think, you know, nuisance cases, trash debris, substandard living, but we don't really think about um, the things that perhaps may be indicators in those homes, in those apartment units, in those abandoned homes that we're going into. Um, even down to the, you know, person on the corner that's selling fresh fruits, you know, some of those, those persons are there because they have to pay some sort of uh, fee that they owe someone, right, um, for, for whatever it is, whatever work that they're, they're paying off. And so human trafficking, comes in a variety of different ways and it's super important for us as code officers and field staff to recognize what those indicators are and to work collaboratively with our uh, agencies and in, in the FBI as law and as well as our law enforcement agencies. And then finally, we're going to have a presentation from our animal control expert. And uh, Pete, you can help me with his name because I, I don't want to butcher Kevin Hurst. His name is Kevin Hurst. Yes. Hey. Kevin Hurst. And Kevin, again, also brings a wealth of knowledge in the animal control uh, arena. 
has a lot of great pointers, lots of great information, um, not just, you know, avoiding those pesky little ankle biters, but really understanding their behavior, really understanding maybe the cues that they're putting out from body language to, you know, their bark to um, whimpering to anything that may be indicative of a possible attack, um, you know, against a, a field staff person. I know myself, I've had um, uh, ankle biters myself <laughs> while I've been doing inspections. And so it's really important to understand, you know, the mechanisms of how animals behave so that we can, you know, conduct our field inspections safely and interact with animals that are on property safely, as well as have that communication that strengthens, strengthens that, uh, you know, interaction that we have with that property owner or tenant. Awesome. Thank you, Cecilia. It's always a pleasure to see you. And I know with these coffee with my girlfriends monthly, you're gearing up to your Women Leaders in Code Enforcement Symposium for 2022. I am so excited. Um, I thank you for allowing me to participate and Rachel too. We look forward to it. I know you're already lining up some top-notch talent out there and it's, it's awesome. You are the originator. You are you know, it's, it's hard to emulate what, what, what you've done. And I really appreciate, you know, Thank all you. The, the work that goes into what you do. And, you know, and it's it just appreciated. Thank you for being so present in our code community. Yeah. And the, no, thank you too, Pete. And thank you too, <laughs> Rachel. And, and, uh, <laughs> um, you know, to, to make a little shameless plug there, thank you so much for bringing it up, Pete. Yes, the woman leaders in code enforcement. Oh my goodness. Let me tell you guys, if you didn't make it to this last one, it is a do not miss. We have a broad range of talent, women that are in the field, amazing stories, um, leadership components, mentorship, um, Ability to be in a room with other fellow colleagues that are coming up in the building world that are in the building uh, leadership roles right now. Um, Pete, you are correct in that 2022 is going to be just as fierce as 2021. We have amazing presenters, one of them which is here on the screen today, Miss Rachel Patterson, who's going to bring forth an awesome presentation, as well as, you know, other awesome things that we're going to be offering. But I don't want to give away too much because I'm excited to make that announcement. But mark your calendars, March 23rd through 25th, 2022. Look out for Women Leaders in Code Enforcement. Awesome, Cecilia, and thank you very much for joining us. I think Rachel dipped out uh, due to some technical issues, but she's going to come right back on to give us our fairly wells. And there she is. So with that, thank you. We really appreciate your time. And I will see you. I will see you next time. Well, I'll see you next week a bunch of times. So <laughs> I know I'm sick and tired of you. So, <laughs> but you know, but anyways, um, so we'll take it over to Rachel. Rachel, you're good. Good to go. Rachel's frozen. All right. It's all, all good. Right. Thanks for but, dealing with my internet issues, whatever they are. I'm so apologetic and I am. We can hear you. You're perfect. You're perfect. So, with that, uh, we'll go ahead and say goodbye. Take it away, Rachel. Thank you for joining us today for our latest edition of Code Concepts with Pete and Rachel. We'll join you next week on Women Leaders in Code Enforcement with Coffee with Girlfriends. All right. Thank you. Cool. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Bye.